Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary, and today I'm very pleased to welcome back a return guest, Donna Schneider, who will be providing some insights to us on how to get through difficult conversations and communicate better. Welcome back, Donna. What's new with you? Thank you for having me, Mary. I'm delighted to be back. And what's new is that we just keep working here at Lifespan, which is in Mm -hmm. Providence, Rhode Island, to elevate the education that we're doing in compliance. We're actually just got through a risk assessment, that whole process, which happened at the end of the summer as we build our compliance plan for next year. What was interesting about that is we took an approach, a little different approach this year, and we called it the voice of the customer. So in that process, I had 30 different conversations with senior leaders, all levels of employees and board members Mm. throughout the corporation and really just ask what was keeping them up at night. You've got a lot of different information. It it becomes just one more data point in your compliance Mm -hmm. plan, but it was really, again, having those conversations because some of them brought up some items which could create a crucial conversation, didn't. It was a really good experience. Nice. I really love how you reframed risk assessment to the voice of the customer. It puts it more in their shoes, leads to them thinking about what's in it for them. And so I I like that you've done that. And I would also say that my favorite risk assessment question in interviews is what keeps you up at night? Pleased to hear that we're aligned in that respect. Great. Let's dive right in. What are your tips for approaching difficult conversations? I think there's a couple things. First, The first and foremost that I probably say at least once a day, both in my professional and my personal life, is don't tell yourself a story. Because it's very easy for us, for anyone, for humans, to immediately form an opinion. So, for example, as simple as you're you're at a traffic light and it's you in another car and the other car takes off. You start forming an opinion about that person. Or you're running to catch an elevator, you jump on, you hit the button because your meeting is more important than someone else. So... In having a crucial conversation, the point is about dialogue. Mm. So telling yourself a story doesn't help you start from a factual perspective. Starting with the facts is indisputable. The facts are the Mm -hmm. facts. It's what what you hear, but you may read. Mm. When you take a story or someone else's story, then you've already misaligned the conversation because you have a Mm -hmm. prejudgment. I think that is really my number one tip. And my second tip is to really do as best as you can to draw the emotion out of it, which is hard to do sometimes. Yeah, I was about to say that's easy. Really hard. It's easy to say. (laughs) Easy to say, but really hard to do because when emotions and what is a crucial conversation one of the aspects is it's a strong it's something that 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 ignites a strong emotion mm-hmm. important to you or else you wouldn't mm-hmm. know it's but that's a the other key component to it because if emotions start to cloud mm-hmm. then your dialogue somehow whether it's your tone of voice or it's your nonverbal communication may lead to what we call silence or violence so mm-hmm. person shuts down mm-hmm. or they get aggravated and maybe they storm off so those are really right. the two things 
So I've learned in situations where we get overly emotional, often that's amygdala hijack and ways in which you can pull yourself out. One of the most effective that I have found is asking yourself some coaching questions or ignition questions that help pull you out of that drama emotional state. And so that might be a question like, what do I know for sure about this? What about the commentary that I've just been telling myself might not be true? If I were to assume best intentions of the other person, what might reframing look like from their perspective of the situation? And so allowing yourself the opportunity to think about some questions that will pull you out of the drama is a way in which you can do that. And then in in respect of your first point, which I think is a really important one, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe research has been done that indicates that when we as humans have gaps in information, we fill those gaps with negative things, not not neutral, not positive, but we jump to conclusions. And so it is super important to realize that we do that, that you might be doing that. Now, a great example is a good friend of mine had a feature go up on LinkedIn and they asked me, is it a bad sign? Like I'm thinking about this a lot. My boss didn't like that post about me being featured on it. I know that they're pretty active. And so I had to say, look, there are so many reasons why they may not have even seen the post. For example, I'm very active on social media, but recently I took a break. I removed LinkedIn from my phone. So I was getting a lot less notifications and looking at it a lot less just because of the accessibility and convenience was gone. But I've also found that even when I am pretty active, the LinkedIn algorithm controls what comes on your newsfeed a lot lot of the time. And so I have found later on that there are posts that I've completely missed by people who I interact interact with a lot that have gotten several hundred likes. And I felt bad that I didn't either celebrate the success of the person or would, or interact in the appropriate way, but I simply did not see it at the time. It's things like that when you realize you're jumping to conclusions and not assuming best intentions, that's really not going to help with your ongoing conversation or even your mental hygiene. Absolutely. I think there's a couple things too to add to that is what do you really want to get out of the conversation? What is it for yourself or maybe the organization for the relationship? Really important. And, you know, what this positive intention piece, a rational, reasonable person, that's who you're going to be interacting with. So establishing a mutual purpose and mutual respect, putting those as ground rules would really be helpful. That doesn't mean that a conversation could go south because it Mm -hmm. could. And if it does, it's okay to say we're getting, we seem to be differing on our opinion here and maybe getting a little emotional. Let's revisit this in a day or Mm -hmm. what have you. It's okay to remove yourself there, Mm -hmm. but having the mental conversation as you feel, because you can feel yourself getting more emotional, Mm -hmm. heart's beating faster. You feel your face flush and just Mm -hmm. the heat coming up, Mm -hmm. just reminding yourself, what is it I want? Mm-hmm. What this person is a reasonable, rational person. That's mm-hmm. who I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. We have a mutual interest. I think that's important. I think it's very important. Yeah. And one of the ways in which I found as a compliance officer moving into organizations where companies hadn't necessarily fully embraced compliance or accepted it yet was 
quite critical was picking up the phone and having a telephone conversation versus email or using today we use Microsoft Teams a lot. And what I've noticed, and I'd love for anyone who's Generation Z listening to correct me if I'm wrong on this or let me know if I'm right, but it seemed to be that some of the folks that I managed when they were younger than me seemed to be less willing to pick up the phone that like they really had an aversion to it and really wanted to stick with electronic means of communication. And so I think we may be potentially starting to see a generational shift in communication preferences that may not be serving us as well. And I will share if you are Gen Z, I remember there was a time when I was a teenager and for whatever reason, phone calls just made me sweat a lot. I don't know why, but I felt like I was almost performing on them, like I didn't want to make a mistake or anything. And as time goes on, time went on, that that, that went away. But I noticed a huge difference when someone met me as a compliance officer, even if it was just by audio using regular landlines, this oh. is back in the 2013 kind of thing, it makes a huge difference to how you're received and how they treat you after that moment. It is it is human connection taking place and you cannot undervalue how important that is for a, a function like compliance. I, I totally agree. I think there's a whole skill set to it. And email or texting, though convenient, I'm a big email girl, frequently say, have the conversation. Mm-hmm. You want to send the email first? If you mm-hmm. don't get the response, call the person up. Or better yet, set up a meeting. It yeah. could be a virtual meeting, mm-hmm. but set up the meeting. Mm-hmm. And I will, with all of our new executives, director and above, have it 15 minutes just so they could see my face mm-hmm. and I could see their face and establish some kind of rapport because inevitably yeah. something will come up. Yeah. And so having that interaction, but it's very true. It's a skill set on how to talk on the phone. And the more mm-hmm. we've gotten away from it as a mm-hmm. society, I think it's not going to do it service. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So now I'm going to ask you with a slight twist to that question, does your advice change if I ask you about how to best approach difficult conversations with difficult individuals? My advice would be in that situation would be to rehearse. Because again, the difficult individual, air quotes, In your mind, that person is difficult. Sometimes you may think you're going into a conversation and it's going to be hard. So you're going to prepare Mm -hmm. every which way. And the more prepared you are, the more comfortable you are. So you're able to control your emotions, your demeanors more easily because you prepared there. Mm -hmm. And the other piece, which I was wanted to bring up is the nonverbal piece of communication. Mm -hmm. Because even though we are more separated, We're doing more on teams, as you said. And that's a different kind of nonverbal communication. It requires a little bit more leaning in, physically leaning in so they see you there. Making sure that you have a reputation of being engaged and being present Mm -hmm. during conversations or meetings. Because if your track record is to not be present or to be doing other things, which are very easy to do, and I've done Mm -hmm. them, so I'm not, not... totally innocent in that. But when you're dealing with someone that might be more difficult to Mm -hmm. talk about, maybe protective of their unit, or doesn't want to hear that something, you have a report that you need to investigate, having the reputation that you really care, Mm -hmm. that you have similar mutual interests Mm -hmm. for the best of the organization, and Mm -hmm. you're not there to just whack a mole and treat them (laughs) badly or their employee badly, Mm -hmm. will help the situation. Mm -hmm. So I think the Pre-planning, just we spoke about before, those couple of tips, but paying attention to the nonverbal cues online or in person will be very helpful. 
Nice. Thank you. What would you say are some of the hotspot areas we need to be careful of to avoid miscommunication and misunderstanding? I think it's very important to be not beat around the bush. I was going to say be direct. Yeah, that's... mm, that's To be honest, if something is an issue, it's not necessarily what you say, Mm. because you're going to have to communicate that. It's the manner in which you say it. Exactly. In the book, Crucial Conversations, they talk about something called contrasting. Don't, and then a do statement. Something like, I don't want to insult you. That is not my intention, but I do need to provide you with this feedback. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you're going to be able to hear this and we can continue our dialogue, which is helpful because... The person hears what your intentions are not, mm-hmm. and they gear themselves up and then hear your intention. I think that's a tip that people need to be aware of. If you think the person is difficult going into it, so you might want to start that up front. Mm-hmm. Or if the conversation is starting to get a little rocky, whether it's emotional <laughs> yeah. or the speed, then maybe the don't do can sort of, again, level set. We're here to have dialogue, non-judgmental. In our field... That's super important. It's just very important to be seen as the collaborator. Mm-hmm. Say to our the staff here, we want to communicate, we want to collaborate, and we mm-hmm. want to educate. That's how we grow this program. Because if people don't trust you, you're not going to find things out initially or during your investigation. Mm-hmm. That that would be my focus there. I find it really interesting that you say that because as a non-American. One of my biggest struggles was coming from a country where we're very direct. So the New Zealand communication style is pretty direct, but also you want to be really respectful. You do not want to offend the other person. Whereas in, I think, other direct cultures, it can be quite normal to say something and people don't take it as insulting or whatever, but we try to make that that part very explicit that there's a lot of kindness behind it. And what I have found as a detrimental effect of working in that environment is that it creates a lot of animosity because what tends to happen is that when there are conversations that need to be had but are not had, people form factions and they start talking about the issues, they start dissing other people who, of course, don't at least initially hear about it. And then the people who are complaining get resentful that nothing's changing. And I'm just like, this is insane. How are you people even continuing to have long-term relationships? And I think it must ultimately affect the quality of relationships in the workplace. I'm really glad to hear you say that. I was very surprised because it hasn't been, in my observation, the natural tendency or the default position. Because it's hard. Yeah. It requires energy and it requires taking a risk. But if you don't have the conversation, you're not going to move the issue forward. So having the meeting after the meeting, does no one any good? That doesn't help. Having the conversation helps. And you might as well just have it. Yeah. Procrastinating about it's not going to help anyone involved. It's like failure to speak up in compliance, right? If you sweep it under the rug, it doesn't make the problems disappear. It only makes them manifest in a different way. Like the whistleblower will go to the media or to a regulator instead. The issues will still be there. I think one of the ways in which I've tried to address this is to say everything else with a lot of love so that 
for the most part, the default position is people are feeling like there is a culture, hopefully, of psychological safety, that I care about them, I like them, I think they're competent. And then when the rare occasion comes where I'm like, hey, this is an area of opportunity, they're not like, oh my goodness, I'm about to be fired, or oh my God, my relationship with Mary is just really awful, it's really bad, because it, the basis or the foundation of it is already something where they feel comfortable and that this is just one little thing amongst a whole lot of love, for want of a better word. That's the reputation piece, which is so important in our profession, in compliance, is being seen as someone who will take in information, be fair in guidance, mm. be clear in guidance, and also close the loop. It's very important. If somebody reaches out to you, you reach it back to them, mm. whether it's a conversation or an email. And the answer may be, I don't know, but I will find out. Mm. And then Two days later, if you still don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm. I will find out. Mm. But that all takes energy. Mm. Just, I don't know, leave it alone. Again, where people don't know, negativity is going to creep in. Mm. And that just leads to more of this meeting after the meeting and not having the conversation. But I truly believe it's an energy focus. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the holding email. And Donna, you and I were talking offline about tips for people who are newer to the workforce. If we were in a position to be able to write a letter to our younger selves or advise a, a group of newbies, I think that would be one of them is the importance of the holding email. That is something that says if you cannot respond within, let's say, the working day to a request that you receive, by the end of the working day, at least have sent a holding email acknowledging that you've received it, it's on your radar and you were working on it. It need not, and that a substantive response will follow. And pe then people feel hurt, mm -hmm. feel like at least you've heard them and somehow you, you put that in your work schedule and get back to them at some point. And it may be longer than they wanted, but at least they know you're working on it. I totally agree. Thank you. How can compliance officers improve their communication with stakeholders? I think the best way to improve it is to be authentic to who you are. So some of that is about your personal brand and your style. So what I've done is set things up that are that track with who I am. So for my key stakeholders, I've set up routine meetings mm. just at a time they know, and they're not long, mm. maybe 15 minutes, they could be a half hour. Again, establishing that rapport back and forth and being present Again, relating to our culture the way it is right now since May or March of 2020, it's a lot more online. And being cognizant of not only what you say, but how you say it and the cues that you display. Mm -hmm. People make a judgment not only about what you're saying, but how you say it and mm -hmm. your nonverbal communication within seven seconds. Mm -hmm. So if that judgment is not going to be one to share and dialogue, it's going to be very difficult in a compliance perspective. So I think those of us in compliance have to be mindful of that. And then the biggest thing I think to improve communication is the follow-up. Mm -hmm. Because if people know that you're someone that they can go to, mm -hmm. and even if it's not your area, you mm -hmm. will connect them with whoever it is, mm -hmm. then you become the resource. Mm -hmm. And you do that a little bit. And of course, mm -hmm. then it's going to build. So mm -hmm. we're 50 emails a day. Six months are going to be 100 emails a day mm -hmm. to figure out a way to handle that. Because mm -hmm. the good news would be in a year, there'll be maybe 500 emails. You want it to keep building, but that's going to require more effort and more time. But that's success as far as I'm concerned. And I think we need to read beyond follow-up when it comes to just explicit questions made of us. So for example, we were talking at the beginning of the conversation about risk assessments. Let's say someone voiced fear or a concern for us, and we've acted on that in some way. 
it's important to go back in six months or whatever and say, hey, thank you so much for sharing that with me. In response to your concerns, we implemented this. Or same for if you do a survey to solicit feedback. Closing the loop on that, uh, your colleagues to feel heard is really important. So for example, uh, we held focus groups to inform our healthcare uh, professional or practitioner. We, uh, in Donna's in MySpace, we use the term HCP, but I know that not all of you are in healthcare. So this is for doctors and nurses that we have to deal with. There are a lot of corruption risks that are possibly associated with that particular type of third party. And so we pulled together some questions to ask colleagues to help really focus us on this year's training because we've been doing other trainings in other years. And we wanted to make sure that we were really focusing on areas that were still gray areas for people. And so I've asked my regional liaisons to go back to their stakeholders and thank them for it, that we're working on it now. And as part of the introduction to the training, when they get to the instructions and so on, there's also going to be a little sentence in there about how this training was formed on the basis of your feedback. Thank you for that. So people know that we're listening, we're acting on it, and it's a true two-way conversation. The other piece too that we've, along those lines, implemented, so there's a monthly dashboard that we produce that mm -hmm. we share with stakeholders about compliance privacy activities, process improvements, because mm -hmm. though there might be a privacy compromise, which is mm -hmm. just part of our world, mm -hmm. what process improvements have we had as a result mm -hmm. that made a difference to staff mm -hmm. and their daily workload? I think that's along the same lines, thanking people. And mm -hmm. because of this event, Sometimes, yeah. listen, sometimes the events we deal with are not what we want to, but it's part mm -hmm. of our world. But we've made this process improvement and sharing that. So it's the same point. A really nice way in which you can share that is to when you do your end of year appreciation note to stakeholders saying happy holidays. One thing that my team does is thanking people for their contributions. And then we list, we curate and select a couple of major projects each to put in the list and see this year we achieved this and you helped us to do that. Mm -hmm. We couldn't have done it without you. And then you can also do that with process improvement. So your end of year holiday greeting appreciation note becomes a way of really communicating with people about how it was a holistic conversation. And then from tooting your own horn or blowing your own trumpet perspective, it helps with the ROI uh, oh, on compliance that people are, it really hits them in the face. Oh, this cost center actually did all these things this year. Very true. Very true. Because as an overhead department, I think you need to be mindful of that. That's just the way of the world. Absolutely. There are things that we need to continue working on for that. As for those of you who listened to my episode with Deb Barrett, one of my dreams, aside from still holding the dream of wanting to be the very first chief compliance officer of Mandarin Oriental Hotels, which is becoming a long-term aspirational goal now. Hope you're listening hotel brands oh. is that we can turn our branding from the ethics and compliance department to the reputational protection preservation department instead because for revenue and it starts becoming lengthy at this point I'm not very I'm not very concise Donna I've got to work on well, you could work on that you can you can you just get an acronym yeah and then you'll ah, shorten it down Okay, we will think about this. And That's this is going to be the way forward for compliance. Watch this space. So Donna, my last question for you today is what other advice and words of caution would you share with us on crucial communications topics? 
I think it's much of what we've mentioned before. Don't be afraid to have the conversation. And in our role as compliance professionals to have, take that risk and be mindful, not only of your approach, it's okay to practice with Mm -hmm. others, with the mirror. I've done that many times, your approach, your tone of voice, the Mm -hmm. emotionality we talked about, but the nonverbal piece. And I know I've said that several times, but that's something recently that's come to mind and what cues, and there's several good books on this engagement, because again, Mm -hmm. virtual communications has a different set of challenges. Mm -hmm. We talked about rapport and being in the room with people and that's great, but we don't really have that luxury as much as we Mm -hmm. used to. I think that being aware of the screen and how you present yourself Mm -hmm. and how you're able to have that conversation is really just as important as the words and ticking the boxes that you need to do in our role, because there are certain boxes we need to tick. But I think those are key points that I would just say are just so important that maybe I didn't think of last year even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have the ability to watch back over yourself, and as someone who never listens back over my podcasts, I can totally understand why you might not, even if you had access to it. Ask someone who is an ally in the audience or who deals with you a lot in business meetings and ask them expressly, is there anything that that you would suggest could be something to work on? When I was in high school, I was a debater and I coached debating. And it was quite common for me to say to the the more junior folk, when you speak, you swing from side to side and that's really distracting. But no one's going to tell you that in the workplace, most likely, right? Because you don't have someone whose job it is to be your coach sitting in that room with you. So ask someone to be like an accountability partner, but it's almost more of a feedback partner, just to be looking out for you and saying, is there anything that's impacting my credibility, my gravitas, or decreasing my message in some way? Because it's really about charisma. That's part of it, really, because Mm -hmm. that will lead to people hearing what you have to say. So it's really developing what are those charisma cues that will enhance the warmth that you display with people and your competency. The worst to me when I coach people is when you're on a Zoom meeting and and just a box and the head never says anything. Been there for the whole hour and there's no contribution. Me, I don't, we're there. We're invited to be there. Say something. Even Mm -hmm. if it's to reiterate the question, say something. Yeah. So I very much agree, Mary. As someone who's an introvert and, of course, has been more junior than I am now, I know that it can be nerve-wracking to put up your hand and say something and question, what value am I adding to this room full of people? A less scary way of doing that can be to just use the chat when we're in these virtual ones. Let your voice be heard in a different way. And if you're worried about risking things, think about how we do this on LinkedIn. For example, you might not make a post yourself, but you might like what someone else says. You might comment and say, I agree. So if someone is making a really fantastic point, and think about this as well when it comes to women and minorities speaking up in a meeting, you can amplify their voice by commenting or saying, I think that's a really great point or whatever you think will support them. It also helps you retain your seat at the table and make sure that people are seeing you in that. Which is very important because it's easy to get forgotten when there's faces on the screen. Mm -hmm. So making your presence known and exactly if there are concerns, the chat function, I agree, 
from the compliance perspective, that's exactly the way we see it, or mm -hmm. I'll take this back. Good point. Let me take this back to our team and I'll communicate an email by the end of the week. That's mm -hmm. great that you're contributing, you're adding something to the meeting. So just a different piece of the conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. your expertise, Donna. I know that you have such a great deal of experience. On a personal note, so glad to know you. Thank you so much for your friendship and support. And if there's anything that our listeners have for you, I know that you'll be open to receiving comments, Absolutely. feedback and chats because you will keep that conversation going. So I encourage you to reach out to Donna. She is a fantastic mentor. Follow her if you're in the healthcare space. She is a leader in the field there, but generally in compliance, a really great person to know. Thank so, you, Mary. My pleasure. I feel the same. Thank you. With that, Lisa, and I thank you so much for choosing to spend some of your valued time with us. We also are open and available for your feedback about the Great Women in Compliance podcast. We love hearing from you. So please keep that up and keep shining as always. Take good care until next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.